Marriage in our culture has been confused for some time, as I mentioned earlier. And in recent years, it has been under attack more and more. More and more we hear and talk about marriage and what marriage is and marriage equality or inequality. More so perhaps than we have in the whole history of our nation. But even beyond our nation, we know that across the world, marriage is being redefined. The roles of men and women are being redefined. There is a great confusion, even among those who are seeking to redefine marriage, about what marriage really is and what it isn't. But as you think about marriage and the most recent attacks upon marriage, one will be quick to recognize that these attacks have been going on for some time. We know that the redefinition of marriage within the most recent years has been something that has been eroding in our culture for several decades. Going all the way back to the 1960s and the redefinition of what human sexuality would be and then become. This, last, this past year was the 50th anniversary of the Summer of Love there in San Francisco. And many, most in this congregation were alive then and can remember those days. And what you see today in the headlines in America is the fruits of the theology of the 1960s. But even as we can consider in our own contemporary culture the erosion of biblical marriage and the roles of men and women, we understand that the enemy has been attacking marriage since the beginning of the fall. Since the fall of man, since the fall of humanity, marriage has been under attack. You cannot go one page in the Bible and not see marriage under attack. The great, uh, our great enemy is seeking to undermine marriage. And it isn't until we get to Ephesians 5 and the text we read earlier that we understand why. We don't understand before Ephesians 5 why the enemy, why Satan devoted so much time to undermining men and women's roles and the role of the marriage and the family. We don't understand it. No, we understand it's part of God's creation and it's good creation. We understand the enemy wants to destroy creation. We got all that. But in Ephesians 5, Paul lays before us the main reason. It is because, right? Marriage is a reflection of Christ's love for His bride. That marriage was given by a good God that ultimately pointed to a greater marriage. The marriage of Christ's bride to Himself. As Paul tells us in Ephesians 5, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. Right? That's, that's Moses in Genesis 2. Right? Paul's just quoting that. And then he says, and the two shall become one flesh. And then Paul adds, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. That the one flesh union of a man and a woman is actually was, was meant by God thousands of years earlier to point to the gospel of Jesus Christ 
and the love he has for his bride. And so when the enemy undermines marriage, when the enemy confuses culture about marriage, then ultimately it confuses people about the gospel. Confuses people about what love really is. That love is not a freedom of sexual expression, but is about sacrificing yourself in a relationship that you may not receive love in. It's about sacrificing in a relationship where through the dark and difficult days, right? For better or for worse. And so we understand as we look to the gospel and to the love God has for his bride, we see there. That is, we do not take our understanding of submission and love from the culture. So when when Paul and Peter this morning says, wives, submit to your husbands, that does not mean what the the culture says that it means. Right? So we go to the, the, the Christ church, the bride of Christ submitting to Christ. An understanding of submission. Or when we think about love, a a husband's love for his his wife, where do we go? We go to the cross. There we see the measure of a husband's love for his bride. So men, the burden's going to be big today. It's going to be big today. And women, because our culture is so confused, it's going to be tough. But by God's grace, I pray that it's edifying to us this morning. Now, as I begin this morning, as a congregation, we understand that in this room, right, I'm preaching to kind of a mixed audience, right? Uh, And so maybe you're here this morning, you're thinking, I'm not married. Like, what does that have anything to do with me? Right? Should I just kind of tune you out, uh, maybe more so than I normally do, or should I remain engaged in this? What should I, what should I do here this morning? Right? So if that's you this morning, right? so if you're not married this morning, what do you do? Right? Well, a few things come to mind. Number one, uh, perhaps you're here this morning and you're single because you know, one day you hope to be married. Right? So you're not single uh, you know, by choice. You're just you know, waiting for that right person to come along. Right? And, and, and so or maybe you're like the Apostle Paul. You know, if the Lord sees you remain single your whole life, then you're going to be single. Right? Or maybe you're, you're a widow this morning, clearly. You know, you're single right now. You're a widow. You're, your husband or your wife has gone to be with the Lord. Right? And so, so you might think, you know, hey, this isn't really for me this morning. Or, or perhaps this morning... Um, you're, you're someone who's gathered with us. Uh, excuse me, back up to the first group, the, the single group. Let's stay on my track here. I see my notes. Um, the, the single group, right? So clearly, I, I don't have to explain to the single person why it would be helpful for you to hear a sermon on marriage, right? Because if you hope to be married, right, I hope you, you want to have a right understanding of what you're getting into. All right, so just be clear there. And then now the second group, the widow, uh, or, or, or perhaps you remain single, or perhaps you're divorced and you know, you've not remarried, or, or so and so forth. In, in, in God's sight, you know, that's good, all right? Singleness is good in God's sight. So I don't want you to think that, that, that marriage is somehow a, a greater class of people. No, biblically speaking, it's normative. It's normal for, for, for marriage. Marriage is normal. But we know the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 had some great exhortations to singleness, right? And that singleness is good. Um, So don't think that this morning, because you're hearing a sermon on marriage, that you are less than in this congregation. In fact, if this morning you're not single, uh, or excuse excuse me, if you're not married this morning, 
I just want to call you to, to the reality that you're a part of a congregation, a part of a community. And so if you're a widow this morning, if you're a widow this morning, I hope you will take these words and, and, and see and exhort us and hold us accountable to this. So, so you have a role in this congregation as a single person to hold accountable those in marriage to these standards that God lays forth in his word, all right? So, so we all have a responsibility to play in here this morning. And so, so I want you to see if you're single this morning, you hope to be married, or, or you're you know, married this morning, this is a word to all of us to call all of us to accountability in, in this word. Uh, to call us accountability to follow Christ faithfully. So as we go to 1 Peter this morning, we remind ourselves that we are Peter's writing to Christians living in a fallen world and facing temptations and difficulties. Notice that there's no excuse in a fallen world. Peter recognizes that they are in a context of sin and fallenness, yet he exhorts these Christians to godliness. And so this morning, as we look around us, and we're in a culture that's confused about marriage, doesn't mean that we should be confused about marriage. No, we want to exhort ourselves, we want to, we want to call ourselves to this word. So I invite you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 1 through 7. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your good and, excuse me, when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. As we consider God's word this morning, I've summarized it in this way. Christians are good spouses. Christians are good spouses as wives submit themselves to their own husbands and as husbands pursue their wives so that their spiritual lives together will not fade but flourish before God. I'll read that again. Christians are good spouses as wives submit, their, submit to their husbands and as husbands pursue their wives so that their spiritual lives together will not fade but flourish before God. So the point of the sermon is, is to exhort Christians to be good spouses. That as Christians, we want to give ourselves to being good husbands and good wives so that we reflect the gospel before others. And so the sermon really has two points. So if you take notes, it's very simple. Number one, wives submit to your own husbands. And number two, husbands pursue your own wife. Wives, submit to your husbands. Number two, husbands, pursue your own wife. 
Peter lays before us very clearly two exhortations, verses 1 through 6 and verse 7. Verses 1 through 6 he directs towards wives, and then verse 7 he turns his attention towards husbands. And so let's consider this first point, wives submit to your own husbands. Clearly before us here in verse 1, Peter writes, Likewise, wives be subject to your own husband. So as we begin this morning, I want to clarify a few things that I know you're already rolling around in your mind. Is that frightening word, submission or subjection, as it is here before us in the ESV, be subject to or submit to. So what does it mean to submit? What does it mean uh, to live in subjection? And since I'm not that smart, and uh, I always rely on someone uh, well more se- way more seasoned than I am, I'm turning to David Helm, a pastor for a number of years, uh, and he writes this. It does not mean, so he, he, he's going to start with a negative, right? And then we'll think about the positive. Submission does not mean that if your husband asks you to abandon your faith in Christ, you should do so. It does not mean that you must always agree with him and never present a different view. It does not mean that if he is unfaithful to you, you are left without biblical resources. It does not mean that if he abuses you physically or abandons you through a verbal humiliation, that you must remain quiet in the home and accept the daily cruelty of that relationship at all costs. So as I said last week, and I will say again this week, lest you fall asleep in this sermon, wives, if you are in an abusive relationship at home, get out. I didn't, no, listen to what I didn't say first. I didn't say divorce him. I said get out of the home. That is, get to safety. Find safety. And let's see what we can do. We'll see what kind of transformation we can pray for but get yourself and your children to safety, right? So when you hear the word submission this morning, does not mean you just keep getting beat emotionally, physically, and spiritually at home. That's not what this means. So let's just kind of lay that all out, because that's what we're accused of by the secular culture. That's not what Peter is saying here. So this morning, what does it mean? It means that wives are to submit to their husbands willingly, in willing obedience to their husband's leadership. Say that again, just to be clear. What does Peter mean then? He means this, a willing obedience to the leadership of your husband. Submission is willing obedience. Now, there's a troubling verse here, a troubling part of verse 1 that I just want to lay clear as we begin, likewise. Now, if you remember last week, we dealt with different relationships, particularly a slave's relationship to his or her master. And as you consider that word, likewise, so he's exhorting slaves and masters, and he says, likewise, wives be subject to your own. You might, whoa. And so other translations try to smooth that out a bit lest we misunderstand what Peter's saying by saying in the same way or in a similar way. That is, the relationship of a slave to a master or you to the government is similar to a husband and wife's relationship. 
There is a subjection, a submission to the leadership. Just as we submit to the leadership of our president, though we may disagree with the leadership decisions he makes, we willingly submit. We pray for him. We encourage the work. We don't rebel against it. Right? So again, just to be clear, right? If your husband is leading you to sin, that's okay to rebel, right? It's okay to say, no, I'm not going. No, the Bible, I'm not abandoning my faith. Rather, submission is a willing submission. And I just want to outline a few things that Peter outlines first. He says to submit with purpose. That when you submit, you're submitting with purpose. He says, submit to your own husbands, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their husbands. And so Peter here has a concession, if you will, a condition of maybe some in the congregation that are non-Christians. That is, some in the congregation whose wives are non-believers or whose husbands are non-believers, right? As it is in our own congregation, we have some, several folks who are married to non-Christians. It's like, wow, what do you do with that? How do you live? How do you follow Christ yet still remain as you are, as, as, as Paul, the language Paul uses, right? So if, if you know, you're married to an unbeliever, do you divorce them? No, Paul says remain as you are. Right, So submitting here in this aspect here is submitting with purpose. Right, P- Peter says, look, if you submit, if you live in subjection to your husband, you might win him to the Lord by your obedience, by your obedience to the word. So Paul, Peter has in mind here those who are non-Christians, those who disobey the word. Now, you could be, I, you know, I, I read several commentaries and, and, and I'm not quite convinced um, in a narrow view, that is in the sense that these were all non-Christian husbands. Because notice what he says there in verse 1. Even if some do not obey the word, in the sense that you can be a Christian and disobey God's word. You can be a Christian and disobey God's word for a season of your life. And so he might have in view those who are Christians but who are living in unrepentant sin, and thus ref- reflecting poorly upon their profession of faith, or he may be addressing a more narrow group, that is, those who are non-Christians. And one of the things I want to say as we read this text is that do not assume that he is talking only to or to a majority of people in the congregation who have unbelieving spouses. The way he words this is is sort of like, well, there may be a possibility that one of you are married to a non-Christian. Because in this culture, it would have been unheard of for spouses, particularly wives, to be married to husbands who had a different religion. Wives would have had the same religion as their husband, oftentimes, in this Greco-Roman world. And so, what we understand, though, the point of the passage, the point of the text, is that we are to submit, wives are to submit to your husband with purpose. You're to submit with the purpose of obeying the Lord. And so, again, our subjection, our submission to Christ as wives submit to husbands, you are ultimately submitting to the Lord. This is what Paul told us in, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 23, submit as to the Lord. And so a wife's submission to her husband is really ultimately as to the Lord, just as we submit to those in authority over us as we submit to the Lord. But he goes on to say here, submit in a particular way. Look with me in verses 1 and in verses 2. He says, submit by living reverent and holy lives. 
That is, our submission is done by living a holy life. And so wives this morning, if you're wondering, like, how do I do this? What does this look like? Well, notice what he says. He says, through the way you conduct your life. Through the way you conduct your life. The way your life is conducted. Not only that, in verse 2, we'll talk about through, or excuse me, at the end of verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, the ESV follows the King James translation. They're using respectful. The CSB is a helpful translation and is really helpful here because it translates the word reverent. That is, the aim of respect is not the husband but the Lord. That is, the way a wife submits is such that she is actually submitting to the Lord, as I just said. And so it's a reverent submission. It's a reverent submission to the Lord out of reverent and pure conduct, not chaste conduct as the King James confuses us. Uh, it is not chaste as in sexually chaste, but rather pure conduct or holy living. That is, the way you are to be holy in your life is by submitting to your husband. And we have before us here several examples. First, that we are to submit so that your spiritual life will flourish. Wives, when you submit to your husbands, your spiritual life will flourish. It will not flounder. When you have the aim of submitting to the leadership of your husband as he nurtures and loves and cares for you in the Lord, then your life will spiritually flourish. And so Peter says, do not let your adorning be external. Clearly this has some cultural things going on there. He says, listen, don't allow, don't focus on external things, but focus on the things that God values. There was a temptation for Peter's readers, which is the same for us. And brothers, and brothers, I just want to exhort us this morning, while this is clearly directed towards women, I just want to remind us men about a few things that we often overlook. Number one, your wife lives daily under the crushing burden that our culture puts on her, that she is not beautiful enough, that she is not kind enough, that she's not good enough. You cannot go a minute in our culture. You can't scroll for a second on Facebook or Instagram or be in the marketplace. You can't be anywhere in this culture without feeling the crushing burden that I am not beautiful enough, that I am not pretty, that I will never measure up. I'll never look like that woman on that magazine, all airbrushed and beautiful. I will never have my family together like those families on Instagram with all the little perfect children lined up, all clean. I will never have that. And so you're burdened by that, that you'll never measure up to the standard for which society says you should measure up. You'll never be that perfect mom like on the sitcoms. You'll never be that good and perfect spouse. So husbands, I just wanted to remind you of that. That's the burden your wife carries every day. As soon as she wakes up, that's what's on her mind. That's what's burdening her. And so I want you to hear this morning that we as men need to take a responsibility in that. We have a responsibility to exhort and encourage our wives to live in light of the gospel of Jesus Christ and not the way the world does. That God's valuation of your soul is more meaningful than the way the culture evaluates your beauty. 
We never want to take beautiful, we never want to take cues from the culture on what is pretty and what is beautiful. What Peter is saying here is that beauty fades. And everyone said amen, right? I mean, we've seen the pictures, right? We look at them and like, wow, uh, I've really, you know, uh, gravity has had its toll on me. Uh, right? Living in a fallen world has its toll on our bodies. And so Peter says, listen, uh, where you need to be investing in is not on things that perish, but things that are inter- eternal or imperishable. As women, you want to give yourself to things that are eternal, not temporal. Now, I want to be clear here, because some well-meaning preachers and churches have used this passage to create a completely different subculture of Christianity that is actually anti-gospel and not really has anything to do with this text. That is that women are not to wear makeup, women are not to wear jewelry, women are not to, you know, do all the things. Peter is not saying that if you put on makeup this morning or if you have gold rings and gold earrings and all that stuff on today, that you are in sin. Alright? That's not what Peter is saying. So if you got some nice clothes on this morning, that's praise God. What Peter is saying is, are you valuating yourself? Are you valuing yourself with what you have on the outside or what the Lord sees on the inside? Because if you're giving yourself to external beauty and measuring your worth before God in that, well, you just all, you all know that we're going to just get uglier and uglier and uglier, right? I mean, just, that's just reality, right? It's a humbling experience, right? Just think about it for a moment. You come into the world, someone changing your diaper, and you go out of the world with somebody changing your diaper. It is humbling, right? That's humbling. That's humbling. It's not no room for pride. And so we understand that what we as Christians want to give ourselves to is the standard by which God has given that God is measuring inward beauty, not external beauty. And again, that does not mean you don't you know, look beautiful and all those kind of things. Look, I, I was raised in sort of an anti-Christian, actually not in many ways a non-Christian home. Um, and, and I remember um, some just well-meaning, terrible advice that um, my wife and I received from family member about what a wife was to be and, and how she was supposed to be, you know, having makeup on and all this stuff when I come home from work, you know, the, you know, should have the house all clean. Like, we lived in the, ni- like, 1950s, like, you know, sitcoms or something. Like, you know, my, yeah, yeah, that, that's not, you know, I love Lucy and that whole thing, right? No, right? So men this morning, I'm just going to point back to you. If that's your expectation of your wife, you need to get reality check and we need to talk. Because that is just not true. Right? We'll get to you in a moment. <laughs> so, uh, as we consider this, as we consider this, this is, I, I want to make a lot of it, but, but friends, I also want to just remind ourselves that our, our culture places such a weight upon women that they cannot sustain. Look, there's, so, there's a reason why so many young teenagers, I mean, I spent 10 years of my life working with teenagers, in particular teenage women, young girls that I would just talk with, and, and they were burdened by beauty. Many of them taking their own life because they weren't pretty enough, or the right boy didn't like them. And that may be you this morning. You feel as if you will never measure up because you're not pretty. You don't look like the supermodel. You don't, you don't have it all together. Friend, I hope that you will know that God loves you and that he evaluates your beauty not from external things. 
I wonder, men, how are we leading our young men in our, in our family? How are we leading our sons to evaluate beauty? We know there's an epidemic in our culture that is eroding the family, and that is pornography. Because it is creating a culture of boys who are so screwed up about what sexuality is and what beauty is. And it's in your home just as much as in my home. It's going to be something you're going to face in your life, whether it's your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, or your own children. The statistics are off the chart. In a congregation, even our size, there are many who are burdened by that this morning. And I just want to say a word of exhortation to men and women who are addicted to pornography this morning. Come into the light. God loves you. Do not feel shame for that. The gospel can save And you need to bring that into the light. Because all it is doing is destroying your view of what women are. You're turning women into some object to hurt and abuse. Rather than to love and to cherish. And so friends, we want to give ourselves in this hard word that we must... Uh, We must cultivate a culture in our congregation where women are valued not for external things but for internal things. And so let's look just briefly at that internal things. He says that uh, put on the adorning of uh, that is imperishable of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. Again, Peter is saying value yourself in the light of God's value. Value yourself the way God values yourself. And in this context, you see here, it is a gentle and a quiet spirit. Uh, That is, consider this morning the amount of time, ladies, you spent getting dressed, putting on makeup, putting on nice clothes. And consider then the Lord's exhortation to invest the same amount of time putting on a gentle and a quiet spirit. The time you spend adorning your external body, he says, why don't you turn and invest the same amount of time in those things? And what we see here, Peter using the language from that famous passage, right? Proverbs 31. You knew if it was a sermon on marriage, on women, Proverbs 31 had to be in here in order for it to be true. And it is Proverbs 31, an excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. And so we want to see that wives submit themselves uh, for their spiritual flourishing as they invest. Husbands, fathers, we need to teach our sons what to look and what is precious. We want to value our wife for what is genuinely precious. Not just external things, but invest in spiritual things. Exhort your wife to spiritual things. Encourage her in her Bible reading. Encourage her. Make space in her life so that she could read her Bible and pray. Give yourself that way. You know, if there's some responsibility she has, take that responsibility so that she can do those things because that is far more beautiful than anything external. Finally, here we see in this section that wives are to submit by following the examples before you. In verses 5 and 6, Peter uses the examples of the saints of old. And and I just want to point out a couple things. I know they might trip up some people. Number one, uh, Sarah called Abraham Lord. I know, wives, you're kind of like, man, I hope that's not the exhortation that, that I need to be calling, you know, uh, my husband Lord. Uh, that, that's not what the exhortation here. But I, but I just want to point out a couple of things. Number one, if you know anything about Abraham, Abraham was a fool. And I use that term derogatorily. 
he was a fool. Twice he tried to pass off his wife as his sister to some other some other dude. Like the guy was messed up in many ways. He he isn't this model perfect person, right? He 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 was a mess. And so wives, this morning, take comfort. Your husband is a mess. He is a fool. He makes mistakes. I know that because I make mistakes. I'm imperfect. I, I do dumb things. And so there's a sense of patience with your wife, a, 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 with your husband, a sense of, hey, look, you know what? You don't have to submit to a perfect husband. Sarah here is honored before God and before us because she submitted even when Abraham was crazy. And in the context of what she's quoting, what we're being quoted here is from Genesis 18, where the Lord went to, to Abraham and Sarah. Remember Sarah's hiding out in the tent? She's listening through the tent, you know? Uh, she's kind of eavesdropping on the conversation. And what is she doing? She's laughing. Can this really be? Can the promises of God be true? And so, brothers and sisters, the exhortation is clear before us that, that Christians are good spouses as wives submit to their own husbands as an expression of their submission to Christ. And I spent so much time there because Peter does. And you might wonder this morning, you might be questioning, like, what's the deal? Why does Peter spend six verses, a whole paragraph, if you will, on, on wives, and then he turns and has like two things to say to, to husbands? What's the deal? Is it because the husbands had it all together? Is it because the husbands don't have as much responsibility? Well, I think it's twofold. Number one, culture, culture, whether it be ours or theirs or any, is always going to be confused about the roles of men and women and the need to be very clear on those roles. And so he, he spends time. He doesn't want people to be confused because he understands people are going to abuse his words. And so he wants to be very clear by what he means by submission, what he means by subjection. He wants to spend some time there and what he, he just want to make it clear. And then secondly, I think it's this, that the, the burden or the responsibility placed on the, on the husband is real simple. Love your wife the way Christ loved the church. Now that's big. That's cosmically big. That is... We are held accountable to that same measure. The way Christ loved his bride is the way we as husbands every day pursue our wife. Same way. The same way. And that's huge. And so I just want to outline a few things in verse 7 here. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A number of things I want to outline here. Number one, pursue your wife to be an expert on her. Pursue your wife to be an expert on her. To be an expert on your wife, you got to live with your wife. Just to be clear there, right? Live with your wife, Peter says. That is, do life with your wife, not apart from your wife. I know many guys who have these altar lives where they live apart from their wives. Where they have their, their buddies and they have their golf games and they have their little extracurricular activities. And it's all life apart from their wives. And let that not be said among us, men. Let us live life with our wives, not apart from our wives. To be an expert on your wife, you must live with her in an understanding way. 
Literally here, Peter says, you must live with her according to knowledge. According to knowledge. You are to live with her according to knowledge. What knowledge? Well, I think the knowledge of the Lord. The knowledge that the Lord has given you about what marriage is to be and what it isn't. That your wife is not there for your gratification to serve you and get you meals and all this other garbage that we often see. Your wife isn't there to promote you and your personal vendettas and goals, but rather to serve, to serve one another in a way that honors and reflects Christ. Our understanding of culture and of the family is grounded not in culture. Our understanding of marriage and the family is not grounded in culture, but is grounded in creation. We find there in Genesis 2 where God instituted marriage prior to the fall. So marriage is a creation ordinance. Though it is affected by the fall, though it is tarnished by the fall, we look from before the fall to find our understanding that husbands are to leave and to cleave. That's That's what it means there, right? Leave your father and mother. Look, I know some like 60, 70 year old dudes that like maybe they need to leave their mother's house. Not that maybe your mom and dad are still alive, but the way you act, you, you live not your, to yourself. You, you live in light of the way that, that passed. And, and you need to like get out. You need to leave that and you need to cleave to your wife. He goes on to say that you are to hold fast. Literally, you are to pursue your wife. Right? Like we take it our marriage vows, we are to pursue no other. Our pursuit is in our wife. Husbands, you should have a PhD in your wife, period, end of story. Your life's pursuit, your responsibility as a husband is to know your wife. The way someone studies, PhDs are are hard to get, aren't they? They're not easy. You can't mail in for them, although people attempt to. They, those are meaningless PhDs. So if you have one at home that you've like mailed in for, that doesn't mean anything, right? But a real genuine PhD, if you have one this morning, you know it's hard work. There's time and study and, and diligent understanding. Something in you dies when you pursue a PhD, all right? Like, you literally, it's, a cost, it's costly. You die to yourself, and so it is husband's. Our aim in life isn't to grow more. I'm just going to press in here. Husband, your responsibility isn't to know a bunch of useless garbage about sports statistics and about you know what car is the fastest and all that other garbage that we fill our minds with, but we are to know our wives in the same way. And if we would spend the amount of time we seek to learn useless garbage in this world, and we'd use that time to know our wives, our marriages would flourish. Our marriages would flourish. And so we need to study our wives. We need to know them. We need to know what they're like and what they don't like. We need to become an expert on them. And to be an expert on your wife, Peter says, you must understand that you are partnered with a weaker vessel. So what he says there, isn't it? Uh, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman or the wife as the weaker vessel. Now, I know women in here, this is not your favorite Bible verse. I know you don't memorize this. Uh, and, and I know maybe you're like, whoa, I am not weak. I am strong. And I've met some strong women before. But sister, you are weak. You are weak. And I didn't say it. Jesus said it. 
I know that's true because the Bible said so, right? The Bible said you're weak. Now, now to clear up a few things, I want to point you to something here. Look again at the text. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel. Both are weak. One is just weaker. All right? So he's not saying your husband's like a rock and you're, you're, you're a marshmallow. He is saying that you both are marshmallows, but one is just more marshmallowy. Right? <laughs> so, so, so the understanding here is physically. Look, I, just to be clear. By God's design, he has created women physically weaker than men. Now, I know there are some women out there that could beat down a dude, right? They could, they're buff and they've got, I mean, they, you know. And I know that many of you spiritually and you know, physically and emotionally are very strong, maybe even stronger than your husbands. Uh, but generally, we understand here the physical aspect of women. Look, look I just want to be clear, clear here, right? You could say something to me, right? You could call me ugly. And I'd be like, yeah, whatever. Uh, I don't really care, right? you call my wife ugly like that would crush her wouldn't it it would crush her and so it would right i mean there are certain things you could say to a man that probably wouldn't affect him all that much but but man you could lay a crushing blow on somebody on, on a weaker vessel and so husbands as this is the context listen what you say matters the perceptions you have in your wife matters. Live with her and understand that she isn't as strong as you. She doesn't have it all together. She doesn't have clarity about the future the way you might have this morning. And so live with her and understand that, you know what, she may be a few steps behind you. So be patient with her. Love her. Care for her. Don't yell at her and tell her to get your act together. Get stronger. Suck it up. No, no, we understand here that we need to care for one another. Husbands are to go on in verse 7 to pursue your wife by evaluating her or valuing her in light of the gospel. We've already spent some time here, so I'm not going to spend more, but look at verse 7 here again. Showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel because or since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That is, you are co-heirs of the grace of life. You are co-heirs and you are partners in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you are to honor her as a sister in Christ. Now, when you begin to put that perspective on your love and your care for your wife, well, that begins to transform the way. Meaning that her daddy in heaven is going to have a word with the way you care for her. You might be concerned about her, her earthly daddy too, but I would be more worried about our Heavenly Father and the way you care for your sister in Christ, the way you love and care. Finally here, the, the final exhortation to men is to pursue your wife so that your spiritual life will flourish. Peter ends this section by saying, so that your prayers may not be hindered. The your is plural there, and I think it refers to both men and women. That is, it implies that men and women are praying together. The husbands and wives are ending or beginning at some point in their day praying with their wife. And we know that when there is marital fracturing, when there is personal relationships that are hurting, we don't want to be praying with people. 
We're not going to be praying with our spouses whenever, right? And so assumed here is that when you are in disobedience to the Lord, you're not going to be praying. And so your prayers are hindered. Your lack of care for your wife has an impact on your spiritual life. I just want you to know that. That's what Peter's saying. Look, the way, look, if your marriage is suffering today, I can guarantee your spiritual life is suffering. And that's all the more why you need the great physician this morning. And why you need to bring the gospel to bear. Friend, if you can't radio home, if you can't radio base uh, for more supplies, what happens? You starve to death. You begin to die. You, be, I mean, you don't have any resources. And so for Christians, if we can't radio home, if we can't radio to our great high priest and say, hey, we need fresh supplies, uh, look, we're in trouble. Our marriages are in trouble. And so we want to turn to the Lord this morning. Uh, husbands, I pray this morning that you do not leave here today until you've died to yourself. Died to yourself. Died to your ambitions. Die to your sins. Die to you and ready to pursue your beautiful bride again. That you will pursue her and live for her. Confess to the Lord this morning. Confess to her and to the Lord where you have fallen short. Do not be afraid this morning to tell her and to tell the Lord that you are a miserable loser and that you're a terrible husband. But I, through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, will be transformed. Pursue your wife this morning. Pursue pursue her as Solomon does his bride. Now I'm going to conclude with this, Solomon. Uh, Song of Solomon. Read that. Cultivate that. Men, get over yourself and read that book. And pursue your wife the way Solomon does. Listen to the way Solomon's bride talks about his pursuit of her. My beloved is mine and I am his. He grazes among the lilies until the day breeze and the shadow flee. Turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on a cleft mountain. That is... Run for me. Pursue me. Run after me the way a gazelle runs. Well, that may be said of us together as God's people. Let's pray. Gracious Father in heaven, we give praise and glory to you in Christ. We do pray that your word would transform our marriages and our lives together as God's people for your glory and our good. Amen. Well, this morning, we, on the heels of thinking about marriage, have the